welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is robert chefshek from rise 48 equity welcome robert hi rama hi nice to meet you and thanks for allowing me to be on your podcast yeah Sure, sure. And a little bit about Robert. Robert is the Chief Construction Officer and Co-Founder of Rise 48 Equity. Robert's main responsibilities as COO include overseeing the entire asset management team, asset projects, and property inspections. He resides in Arcadia, Arizona with his wife, Anita, MD, and their three children. Robert has been investing in real estate for over 17 years and has equitable ownership in apartments, mobile home parks, and hotels. within the US and internationally Robert holds a master of science in architecture from Polytechnic University of Krakow Poland his degree in architecture allows him to work closely with developers while bringing extra knowledge to the construction process so with that Robert would you like to add anything to your background Yeah no that's uh thank you this is a pretty good summary of me yeah yeah I was born in, and raised in Poland actually and and I graduated from uh, Polytechnic of Krakow as an architect and 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 that's where I met my wife pretty much and, and that was in Poland and she was also born in Poland but she really grew up in Canada because she her family moved to Canada so yeah um I 2000 in 2002 I I left Poland behind and moved to Canada to follow my wife and then from that point we've been just traveling all across the United States and and just trying to find our house uh and settle finally yeah we moved um, from Canada we moved to Pennsylvania in 2002 and I that's where I started my internship and worked with the local uh small office um in an architectural office and, and then from that point I realized that this is probably not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and I just followed my uh, kind of had a shift in my career and from from being an architect I realized you know really early on that what I was taught in Europe because there are a lot of differences between in architecture between Europe and, and the United States like I didn't know what the 2x4 is I didn't know how homes were constructed here we use you know bricks mortar and and concrete in in Europe to build things so yeah I actually entered uh, construction work for some time and you know I want just wanted to learn everything from the grounds like I realized I, I didn't have that in school so I did carpentry I I worked in hanging hanging I was hanging drywall painted I did plumbing roofing concrete work it, it was really hard work but you know I felt kind of like I can finally go back to the office after all that and start going back and you know, I said as an architect but in between that what happened is my wife and I we found a we found a book that pretty much changed my life our lives and that that was a rich that poor that book probably a lot of us uh, read and know now us you know the purple book and immediately after reading this book i knew i wanted to be around the risk i don't know i didn't know in what capacity but i i kind of felt that you know that the risk is going to give me some freedom and and this is pretty much what i wanted to do so i got my risk license started to work for a local residential/commercial rent real estate office and, and then from that point we started to buy some properties we bought some properties in Pana um in Pennsylvania and then um, going forward and and just skyball in 2000 2009 we have moved to Arizona in 2018 I have met my current business partners Zach and Bickren and in 2019 we have 
purchased our first multifamily property here in Phoenix and officially kind of formed Rice 48 Equity. And fast forward, you know, to 10, 10, fast forward like two, three years. And now we have, you know, 10, 11 properties worth around $170 million um, all done in, in about three years. So we moved really fast. Awesome. Awesome. And thank you. Thanks for sharing your background. And so would you share the reason behind choosing multifamily? Yeah, a uh, good question. I mean, you know, my wife and I, we've been buying properties here and there, and, and we've been always uh, interested in it. Like I, like I mentioned before, it was mostly like the single family homes or condos or, you know, in, even investing in syndications ourselves. So, you know, we've always been chasing this this um, dream of, of building a passive income, right? Because we knew that with passive income, passive income brings freedom. And that to us, it was the freedom of time. The, you know, the, the ability to spend time together as, as a family and have the uh, flexibility to move around if we needed to. This is pretty much what I think most people chase throughout their lives. So we started to attend a lot of different real estate conferences, read books about real estate, join several different groups, and just pretty much surround ourselves with like-minded people from which we, you know, we could learn something. And and, and uh, this desire to learn and, edu- and educate ourselves. And, and, and you have to understand, my wife is a physician, I was an architect, so we've gone through the official, you know, quote unquote education. And then yet we still kept going and we knew that we need more in order to kind of break out of our daily, uh, daily jobs or, and and just transform into this real estate. And it wasn't really easy. So we've subscribed to everything possible. We have used to listen a lot of different podcasts, um, including Rich Dad or the real estate radio guys. So, you know, always wanted to be, had it the Robert Helms, I think he used to say that, that if you walk into the room and you're the smartest guy in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. So our big why, the end of the road, our, you know, big why was our kids. And so we hope that, you know, one day, they will be the beneficiaries of what we're building today for sure. So the transformation from the single family homes and those condos into multifamily happened over a span of a few years. But then when we finally came to realize that multifamily gives you economies of scale, I mean, you can keep buying single family properties or condos. There's nothing wrong with it. There's not, it's not a right or wrong. It's just that if you want to go a little faster and partner up with someone um, and build this together, the multifamily gives you a fantastic opportunity, and I'm and I'm sure there's you know other verticals and in, in in real estate can you know probably achieve the same numbers. Like I know guys are investing in the mobile parks and and other you know uh, space, but multifamily specifically is um, it has this ability to bring the entire team and and surround yourself with fantastic team and and grow faster. It's just economies of scale. So. So that's why we, from the single family homes or condos and moved to multifamily felt like a very natural progression in our life. And I think we've made a good decision so far. I guess the future will tell, but so far we're growing and we're doing pretty good. We're, we're very blessed with opportunities here and, and I'm blessed with my partners and, and being in the Phoenix market in Arizona, which is the hottest market right now, definitely helps with creating all those goals. So Cool and awesome. And so you hold like Master of Science in Architecture. So how are you utilizing that background into multifamily investing? Yeah, no, good question. So, you know, coming from the architecture and this construction background, you know, my role 
early on was just kind of focus around the interior exterior renovations and part of the executing our business plans. So trying to determine what type of renovations we should be doing, what finish level would be appropriate for a specific submarket, where the property is located, you know, this kind of things. For the really for the past, I want to say 12 months, I was interviewing a lot of um, different local construction crews and building relationships with uh, several general contractors here in, in Phoenix. So we really wanted to develop a specific level of finish kind of quote unquote the brand that would be recognizable amongst other local multifamily operators. So yeah, like like I said, we're just trying to develop our brand. And so we now have a fully functioning and super efficient construction arm of the company. That, you know, and few few months ago actually we hired our asset manager to help us um, with that part of our business um, as well. So she took a lot of responsibility from, from me and, um, um, and it's great. It's just um, to show, you know, that we need to grow. And if we keep buying a lot of properties, we need to grow our team as well, kind of diversify and make sure that every single property and investors are serviced well, so we don't take too much on our plate. So yeah, she reports directly to um, to Bikran and I. Bikran is heavily involved in asset management as well. So her main job is to kind of make sure that operations are running smoothly at the property levels. She visits properties and, and a part of her job is, as well is to make sure the CapEx plan, you know, our business plan that we presented to our investors is being executed properly on time and, and on, on budget, of course. So I'm still involved in, in all of that, but to be honest, you know, since we hire our asset manager, she does she does a lot of that work. But but yeah, early on from from the beginning, you know, um, the team and the guys, the amount of work they went into finding a proper crew to actually uh, uh, do renovations for us and be a good fit. Because not every company is going to be a good fit. That took a lot of time and effort. So there's a lot of work up front to get to the point where actually operations can run pretty much smoothly. So we have one crew right now. We have actually two crews right now because right behind uh, the first uh, GC, we went on uh, looking for another one immediately. And so now we have two different crews that are servicing our properties across you know our portfolio. And then um, I'm actively looking for a third one just, just in case if something happens. You always want to have built those kind of, I don't want to say exit strategy, but just a backup plan. And we have to have a backup plan for if, in case something happens. So yeah, that's pretty much it. But but yeah, you know, you can imagine, you know, working in the construction side, um, in a construction job and, and having a degree in architecture definitely helped a lot in, you know, kind of recognizing what, what we want to do. Right. And thank you. And how do you identify good crew? <laughs> good question. You, <laughs> there is no uh, secret formula for that, I'm afraid. It's just, it's kind of like you have to just kiss a lot of frogs and and you're going to get burned. I mean, and that's the thing for every single aspect of real estate. You know, we, I've been asked a lot of questions. Of how do you do? How do you do this? How do you do? There really isn't a perfect way in, in anything. And I, I believe that that's at least my opinion. You just make a lot of errors. You, you make mistakes and, you know, this quote unquote, kiss a lot of frogs and just until you find the correct one and then move forward. That's pretty much the, the way to do it. So, yeah, we've been through some uh, meetings and uh, and we've probably made our good chunk of mistakes as well from which which just you you learn, you know, the ability to learn and grow on your mistakes is, I think, the key to everything in life, not just real estate, but everything. Just make mistakes. And it's, again, my opinion. I think kids today 
the growing up in environment and around education and schools that they're not allowed to make mistakes. Like I, I have to say, and I agree with some of the things that Robert Kiyosaki said that, you know, the grading um, system and, you know, it does not allow kids to progress in, in the right way because getting a bad grade doesn't necessarily mean you, you're, you did something, you did something wrong. You just, you just have to realize that there is a room to improve. So this progression is necessary. Making mistakes is necessary. So I know a lot of people are just going to make a mistake and they're going to stop. They're not going to do anything else because they're going to be paralyzed. But actually, that's the, that's the key to making a mistake. You fall and you stand up. The keep going part is the most important than, than success and, and making mistakes. It's just the drive. They have to just keep going at it. So yeah, kissing a lot of frogs until you find a perfect team. And that was the same case with Zach and Beckran and, and our team now. So it, it, there's no golden rule, to be honest. It's just trials, lots of trials. Got it. Got it. And so I'm going one step back. Like uh, you have experience in uh, inspections, right? So what are the key elements you would focus during inspections? Oh, yeah. Good question. So we, uh, Zach and I, and oftentimes Bitcoin too, but Bitcoin usually stays in the office, but we go to every inspection and do the due diligence and we walk every single unit. So our focus and, and my focus is on making sure all the vendors are showing up at the property uh, level. When we develop our budget for interior renovations, like we can go look, at this moment right now, our operations are running pretty smooth. So we know what backslash we're going to put. We know exactly what grant it's going to go i mean um countertops are going to go in we know the colors we know the cabinets we know the lights from plumbing fixtures everything that goes around it we know when we walk the property we already developing our we know the level of finishes that we're going to do and, and there's only small differences that are going to depend on the size of the units and whether we can put the wash and dryer in but there, there really is not no magic so our focus from the contingency standpoints because there's always things that may or may not happen so you want to build in the contingencies for you know, quote unquote, the rainy day or something happens. So I focus mostly around the roofs. We want to make sure that the roofs are um, in a good shape. And if they're not, how many years before we have to replace them and then working with background to make sure that we have budget for this. And then the same with um, the sewer, with the plumbing, you know, making sure that all the pipes on the ground are in good conditions. And if not, do we have to hydrojet them or do we have to replace them? And what will be the cost? So all, there's a lot of things be, behind it that you, that you don't see. You know, people always focus on the interior renovations because that's the final effect is what the tenant sees that they, they walk in and say, wow, that is a beautiful unit, you know, beautiful floors and, and quartz countertops and, and lights and colors and all that. But but the property operates on a, on several different levels too from the exterior standpoint. So tying all together, that's that's a hard that's a that's a hard job. And and making sure you know the property runs smoothly. Same like I, I can tell you from the very beginning, we everybody kept telling kept telling us that you know do not buy a property with the chillers because the chillers are expensive and they fail and it's a disaster. And that is true. If, if the chiller system at the property level uh, fails and, and it fails during the summer, yeah, that, that, that is not good. But I, I think we've learned to mitigate all of those risks by simply, you know, making sure that we have enough budget to replace it. And then the picking the right moment to replace it, that, that's also the key. I remember the first property that we bought in Scottsdale, which is like a 59, 59 doors. So it was a little smaller property. We didn't actually syndicate this property. We formed a tick and that's a long story. But anyway, we had a chiller system in there. And during the due, due diligence, we had two or two or three separate companies that would come to the property to inspect it. And we got two solid, you know, results of those inspections 
saying, um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with those chillers. Chillers are operating fantastic and it's going to last you a few years. So we were like excited. It was great news. And then we closed on the purchase of this property and literally two or three weeks into ownership and the, and the entire chiller system just failed. And so the goes to show like you can you can do as much work as you can, but in, and at the, in the end, this chiller system failed. So thank God we had budget for it and we were able to replace it and it wasn't, it wasn't a disaster and it didn't happen in the summer. So, but we, from that experience, kind of were like, okay, so we just have to plan for it and make sure that we have enough knowledge and budget and vendors and knowing where to go because to put the chiller system back together sometimes takes three to four months. It really depends on the chiller system that you have. So it, it, everything just takes time. So you learn those little things and then you say, hey, for the future, if, if another chiller fails, that we, what, what do we need to do? What do we need to have and plan for? So that's one thing. But honest to God, I think the plumbing is the most important part of it because we've bought properties with chiller systems and nothing ever really happens. So we maintain them. We have a contract with the third vendors that comes to maintain it. Now, the plumbing, on the other hand, that is a very, very expensive fix if something happens to it. So our focus is we want to make sure that all the plumbing system works and, and well because there's nothing worse than the sewer backing up to your units or backing up somewhere at the property and you have to now come in and clean it and put the tenant somewhere else. And it's a, it, that, that's a disaster. So a lot of parts during the due diligence, we, we walk every single unit's with, with Zach and I, and, and sometimes Big Run Week, but our talk is also bringing expertise of um, and the vendors that we know operate on the same level as us and to make sure that the roofs are good conditions, the plumbings, electrician to inspect the entire property. So those are the key things to pay attention during the due diligence. And there's a lot of different small things in between, but those are the three crucial, I think, items for ever, any property. Good. Um, thank you. Thanks for detailed explanation. And so would you share any of best asset management practices, tips, tricks, and tools you're using to increase NOI? The best tricks. I think there really is no trick. I think staying on top of every single property, that is the key of any asset manager. And and just overlooking, like I know they can overlook the KPIs and I overlook with, with the help of Kaylee, you know, and a few others. Uh, then we have John that we hired who walks every single property. So to make sure the asset management works very well, it's just daily overlooking of operations on every single level at, at, at every single property. So we've hired now John, um, who works directly with Kaylee, reports to Kaylee. And John's job is to walk every unit that we're renovating at the property. We have a renovation tracker that John uses, and he literally goes to those properties every day. And so, for example, if the unit 120 was supposed to have quartz countertops put in, in tomorrow, and we're not even close to being done because the floor sucks to come in. That's where he comes in and say, hey, the quartz countertops are coming tomorrow. I see you're not finished. So we're just checking boxes, and then, and then we evaluate the whole process with our GCs because we have our entire construction management in-house. We control this this part and um, it's it's up to us how fast or how slow we can go. And um, daily, daily, daily overlooking of all the uh, all the assets, um, talking about this. And then uh, of course, with the help of Bikran, who looks all the KPIs on, on uh, from a numbers perspective, tying it up. So we do, we, no, we have, we have, an, we have an office in Phoenix. Uh, we have now five employees. So it's three of us and plus five employees. And we meet in our office every single day, you know, real company, not like one syndicator here, one syndicator there. We actually operating in this, we have a very good presence in, in this Phoenix market. So yeah, we meet every day, uh, talk about the properties. And then once a week on Fridays, we, we have an entire team coming in a conference room and 
and we talk about every single property, like from what's happening here, what's happening here. What are the collections here? Where's the delinquency? Where's the you know occupancy at? And um, and and going forward, and we analyzing as a group, analyzing every single property. So if you just, I think if you just stay on top every single property all the time, overlooking operations, you should be in good shape and overseeing some of the uh, you know just making sure you know something wrong shows up and it gives you the the hint that oh okay this property looks like we're gonna have trouble because we were supposed to I don't know renovate ten units a month and we only got seven why is that and then recognizing this right away and talking to the GC what happened and build and again building the backup plan if uh, if the GC ends up to be spread out too thin then maybe we should replace it or give them some extra help from some other angle. Um, so just daily overlooking is the key, I think. If you uh, skip a week or two or, or three, you're going to fall behind and it's going to be hard to catch up. So it's, it requires a lot of attention. It's actually a lot of work. So whatever, when somebody for passive investors, I think when they invest in different syndications, the key would be looking for, you know, asset management fee. If, if there is an operator that does not take asset management fee, I would I would probably not invest in it because now I know how much work goes into that. And if someone is doing all the work and is not being paid for that, it, it's like taking an advice from an attorney for free. And, you know, you can only get this much, you know, advice from someone if you don't pay him well. So yeah, daily, daily, daily. Got it. Got it. And so would you share any of your best asset management investing experience so far? You know what? I don't think I have one. I mean, again, like we have this everyday talking about the properties. That's that's pretty much it. Like I can tell you from last year in in the March 2020, we were all kind of scared that that we're going to slow down and something's going to happen because of the COVID-19. And I think it's not just us. Everybody else was unsure like what what is going to happen. And so we hunkered down even more and entire focus was on asset management and making sure the properties working. So I think from the best, I don't know, best practices or best tips, just staying on top of the property, talking to people. Like we, during the COVID-19, we went to even to uh, uh, on-site managers to make sure that they're responsive to tenants, that they reach out to the tenants. We would put up um, documents in different, you know, in English and in Spanish, because a lot of our demographic, the tenant base uh, is is um, Spanish. So making sure that we are in front of them and we're actually listening to, to our tenants, because at the end of the day, they pay the rent and they pay for all of this, right? So it, it is a big community. Uh, so we, we have to take make, make sure that we're taking care of them. So all of that, the asset management has to tie in with the on-site managers and the on-site managers have to tie everything in with the, with the tenants, be, be the uh, in front of in front of them. So during the, the COVID-19, we spent a lot of time making sure that kind of preparing, you know, like not knowing what's going to happen. We're preparing that the disaster is going to come. So we would be talking about this almost every day, looking at every single numbers. We would send out daily reports to our investors. Um, that's another thing that I like from uh, the asset management, just telling your investors good and bad news, most often bad news if there are any, because everybody wants, you know, it's easy to send out the good news, but when you have a bad news and, and send it along too, that's the key. So yeah, we would, uh, we would be talking about our properties and then we quickly realized that, you know, all the efforts really paid off because we were able to survive the COVID-19. Actually, we didn't feel any pain from the COVID-19. We didn't see any decline in operations. We didn't see any decline from collection standpoint, delinquencies. Like there were some properties that maybe collection came instead of maybe a week or 10 days into the month, maybe came at the end of the month or 
third week. So it was just postponed. But for the most part, we stayed, you know, occupied, you know, around 95 to 96%. And the collections were almost at the same height. So, and I, and I really do believe that it's a lot of this is because of the uh, daily meetings, talking about it and calling on-site and on-site managers like, hey, what do you see on your level? The, you know, monitoring how many CDC tenants do we do we have any tenants that need need any help? Uh, giving them the paperwork in their own language, you know, and, and whether it's Spanish or English, and helping them fill out the papers. Because I know at some of the properties that were on site, we just literally sit down with them and help them fill out the forms if they didn't know how to do it and submit the papers on their behalf. So all of that, it's just part of it. You know, everything just kind of ties. I don't know if I could just pinpoint just one thing that is the best for massive management standpoint. Because if you're just staying on top of your properties daily, and look at every single problem and you're trying to, to determine what's going to happen in the future and you're just staying on top of it. I think that's the number one. It's like stay on top of your properties and you know know your delinquencies, know your collections, know your tenant base, know your on-site manager. You have to make sure your, your on-site manager manager is, is fit for the property because you know you, it's, you can easily put a different replace it and you can have a wrong on-site manager for the property there are some properties maybe in a little more challenge in some markets and you want to have an on-site manager that is maybe a little more aggressive than someone in let's say downtown scott stuff so it's a lot of things to go into it and trying to figure out you know what's the best for the property for the tenants for ourselves for the company for the investors it's a lot of moving parts so i, I don't know if i can pinpoint just one exact thing to be you know what, what's the best for as a management standpoint but it, it's a, it's a teamwork it's a team, team effort and everybody has its own responsibilities and uh tying all together between us and the on-site property manager and the tenants probably do the, the most crucial got it thank you and so what is your current focus share something you're excited about now yeah, no. So our focus is now on, you know, making sure that we are expanding at the same level that we're buying properties. I mean, we've been very blessed in, in this market and we have a pretty good deal flow in, 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 you know, we've been approached by a lot of investors and our friends is like and saying that, oh, wow, the price 48 equity grows really fast in the market. And, and we, we do, it, it is true. But that's only because we've created those relationships and, and we worked for, you know, maybe two years prior um, on creating those relationships with the brokers, with the property managers. So uh, there was a lot of work that went into that. And now we kind of you know, reaping the rewards of that. And we, I have to say we're, we're blessed with the deal flow, mostly off-market properties. That's our focus, like finding more off-market off properties because this market is so, it's so hot. Everybody wants to be here. Uh, so there is a high, very high competition and a high entry level. I cannot even imagine if someone wants to break into the Phoenix market like today. It's, it's going to be extremely hard if for someone to break into this market without having those local relationships with the brokers and 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 you know specific sub markets and the managers it, it will be hard and then i mean there's an easy way to do it you just overpay for all the properties you pay a lot of top dollars and then you break in but then that's not where we want to be right so we our entire focus of families is growing the company uh, and alongside growing the investor base and growing uh, our staff to service the properties and investors so we have to like this is one of the reasons why we started to hire people because you know we we've heard from some of our friends like, oh, aren't you, aren't you going a little maybe too fast? Like, how are you, you guys servicing those properties? I, you know, th- there was a concern that we may not be able to uh, operate those properties very well because we, we, you know, we grew so fast. Well, so that's why we started to hire people. That's why we have Katie. That's why we have 
John. That's why we have Brady. So we're building team and now we're hiring another person to become a team member and we're hiring a senior accountant to help with the, with the paperwork in, in the office. It's, it has to have an in-house accountant. So our focus is on finding off-market properties, continue to grow in Phoenix market. We don't have any plans going out of this market to any, any different sub-markets. We want a very good presence in Phoenix market. We know this market very well. So that's where we're going to stay. Um, I know at the beginning of the year, we set a goal for ourselves uh, for the company to buy, you know, to be around $250 million um, in receipt, you know, under asset management value. And uh, I think by the end of August, we're going to be around 230, I think. So we're very close. So I, I think, and that's between August and December, there's still a few months. So I'm sure we're going to, we're going to reach that goal. And that was a very ambitious goal. And for the next year, we're probably going to double that goal or triple the goal. And so we're already planning on growing the company, looking maybe for a bigger office space and hiring more people to service all of the properties and investors. Focus is on growing the company, finding off-market properties. And um, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Awesome. So any one advice that impacted you, Robert? The advice that impacted me? Yes. I think I've met so many people over years that awesome conversations with about real estate and what I want to do in life. The best advices I can ever get help from my wife, to believe it or not. My wife is, is a highly um, successful individual herself and She's not into real. I mean, she's not in real estate. She's in a totally different profession. But advice is on never giving up. And it's, it's. I know everybody says that, but it's hard, especially when you're immigrant. You know, like uh, you come into this country till today. I have an accent, and my well, my kids sometimes make fun of it, but. You know, it's not easy to come here because you have your own challenges. You're missing your own country. You're missing your parents and families. And then, then you have to find your niche and find a thing what you want to do in life and here, in, especially here in, in the United States. And the United States is very, very competitive on every single level, like in everything you do, whether you want to be an accountant or doctor or architect or real estate agent or whatever. Whatever you want to do, it's highly competitive. There's millions of people in here. They're trying to get here to this country daily and they will not repeat their own piece of success, right? And however you want to define your success and everybody's going to have a different definition of the success. But the advice that I was, I mean, advice, it's just more like an encouragement that you can do it. You, you really can. If you just focus enough and if you um, concentrate on your goal, writing down, down your goals and, and just following your gut feeling. And again, this is going to tie in with everything else family um having a wife that supports you is probably amazing i mean i cannot imagine if you have a drive for anything like hey honey i would, I would like to become an artist and and i don't know paint pictures for life and um I, or you know or do what i what we do like be in risky investments and buy properties or be an accountant whatever you want to do if, if your spouse is not supporting you entirely then it's it's just in my opinion, it's just never going to work. So advices would be, at least from, from my perspective, as an immigrant coming to the country, just don't give up. Just don't give up. Believe in yourself. Don't give up. Um, whenever you fall, get up and keep going. And it's a hard, hard thing to do. It really is. It sounds pretty cliche and, and, you know, and it sounds like everybody else is saying that, but it's not easy to do. The one book that I started to read and that's actually Zach mentioned that to me, it's called um, You Can't Hurt Me. And it, I think it's written by David Goggins and 
it's an amazing book. Describes exactly that. That's the that's the advice I think that he also has and shares in his book. For those who never read the book, it's it's an amazing journey of a guy who comes from the ab- abusive parent and then um, and it finds his all you know finds its all his own way in in life and constantly fights with himself. Um, because majority of our fail failures and successes are all in our head. So if you learn how to um, pretty much get up early in the morning and just go into battle with yourself, because you're going to have this on every single level, like you should go to gym and there's going to be part of you that's like, well, let's go to gym tomorrow. I don't want to go to gym today. You always have those battles. So recognizing those battles and fighting them and just forcing yourself to do things sometimes when you don't even want to do things is, uh, is amazing. And it doesn't come right away. It will take some training. And first of all, you have to recognize that you have a problem, right? So that's a first step. And then working on it and just moving forward without giving up. Just uh, just keep going forward. Probably the best. It's a really good book for those who've never read the book. You can probably get it on the audiobook too. It's, it's awesome. Just uh, keep fighting. Awesome. Yeah. So how are you giving back to community, Robert? Well, we give on several different levels. Like we've, on our personal levels between Anita and I, we give money to charities and we try to volunteer and I, I we've had uh, for the past two years we've told our, our kids that they have to volunteer our daughter Olivia who is now what she's gonna go to college now we for the past two years she was volunteering her time in the, in the hospice and just working with, uh, with the patients that are in the, in the hospice and so we volunteer on different on several different levels like between what my wife does for life and my wife is a, is a cancer doctor so she spends a lot of time with her patients uh, for the work and off the work too so it's gonna be on, on several different levels not only financially financially too, but making sure that, you know, we as a family recognize others in need and um, giving back uh, in a way of just even devoting time. And it's just sitting down and listening and helping and to anybody, friends and people that, you know, recognize our success and, and that, you know, learn about us, about Rice 48 or each other. How did you do that? You know, how do you, how did you go from here to from A to B and from B to B to C? And how does that, how does it work on the professional level? I have always no problem spending time and kind of explaining and, and sharing my story and just not even really that exciting but yeah giving time to everybody anybody that wants to ask any questions and uh, concerns like giving back time and you know monetary through church organizations through charities and through school and supporting your school and teachers and it's a constantly there's constantly costs that we're looking for and there's a cause that presents itself in the front of our eyes and we always when there's an opportunity to to support financially we always do that and and, and time wise too we actually on a company level that we decided that you know we're gonna give a percentage of our profits on the company level to the charity so we're looking for for um, and opportunities to look and it also goes back around children so we'll have it down uh, very soon we've already been engaged and we're part of the uh, kind of Arizona Boulder program that involves the children with the cancer where we went part of it and and uh, that our team was recognized on the stage we, we gave to a little guy who uh had went through the cancer and so we donated some money to help him you know after he comes home and I think you get some gaming systems and etc. I don't like talking about it because it's not I don't want this to come across like we're pat ourselves on the back and it's like hey here's this is not why we, we don't do that to have some recognition on the social media and stuff like that because that's not that's not why you do things like that but, but we're very active in in, in this space and, and every opportunity that we think we can align with, with we, we we act on it so many different levels yeah Awesome. Awesome. And how can listeners can connect with you? 
I think the best is go to our website, probably. It's uh, Rice48 Equity, R-I-R-I-S-E, Rice48 numbers, 48 equity.com. So Rice48 Equity.com. And then um, you can learn anything about us. There's the three of us and the whole company. And then um, I think we have the Calendly links in there. So you can pick a Calendly and click on it and set up date to call. Uh, or email is always good. And emails for all of us are pretty easy. It's our first name and a company name. So for me, it would be Robert at Rice48 Equity. And for Zach, it would be Zach at Rice48. And they're kind of the same. So you can email or call. Best way is probably through the website. And we're, pretty, we're staying pretty active on the, on the Facebook too and, and LinkedIn. So anyone who's putting going to put in Rice48 Equity, Arizona, will probably going to come up on a search. So that's the best. Awesome. And thank you, Robert. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I, I hope I brought some, at least a little bit of value to, to your podcast, to your listeners, or to anybody that wants to listen to this. Yeah, even a little bit, of, that that's good. Yeah, thank you for having me. Sure. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through passive apartment investing podcast i hope you learned something from the show see you in the next episode thank you any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only as always please consult with your own cpa legal and financial advisor before investing